All right, well, excited to start a new series today called The Blessed Life, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But I did want to pause. Um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, our government uh, put a date on the calendar to celebrate veterans on November 11th. And one of the things I wanted to do is just pause for a moment and uh, acknowledge anybody that has served our country in that way. And so if you're here today and you have served our country in that way, I would love for you to just lift your hands so that we could just celebrate you. If anybody's in here, no? Okay. Well, we had, we had several in, in, in our past service, and, and it was such a joy. Um, but maybe there's somebody tuning in online. So, church, let's give a big round of applause for anybody that has been serving our country. Um, because here's the reality. Um, people that serve, men and women that serve our country in this way, help to ensure certain things are true. And one of those is this uh, right to assemble, the freedom that we have to do that. And, uh, and so I just want to pause for a moment and say thank you. Thank you for your service and for all that you do uh, or have done for our country. Um, let me pray for us as we begin. God, I ask that as we spend a little time over the next few weeks really digging in to your heart and what you're about, Lord, would you help us to unlock the rewards of what a generous life looks like. Father, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever read this book. Uh, The book is called The Blessed Life. It's by Pastor Robert Morris. And honestly, I hand this book out not as much as I hand the Bible out, uh, because I hand the Bible out a lot more, but I hand this book out a lot. And, And the reason that is, is because this book has radically changed how I think about generosity and how I think about God in the middle of all that and what it looks like for me to be a generous person. And so I don't know if you've ever read it, but I would encourage you to read it. Uh, If you haven't read it in a while, reread it. Uh, We'll probably have some copies of this to sell along the journey through this series. And so we can give those to you at cost. Uh, As a matter of fact, if you don't have the money, we'll just give it to you for free. Just take it because we so much believe in the principles that are listed in this, this book that we would love for everybody to get their hands on it, okay? And so a lot of the content that we're going to be talking about comes from this book. Um, and and I, I just want to encourage you to, to grab hold of that. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible has a lot to say about generosity, has a lot to say about money, has a lot to say about possessions and those kinds of things. Uh, you may not know this, but Jesus, uh, Jesus actually talked about money and possessions a lot. I don't know if you know that Jesus had, uh, the, the Bible records at least 38 parables that Jesus shared. So stories that Jesus would share. And of those 38, 16 of those, 16 of those parables were on money or possessions. Like that's crazy to think about. Now, if you do your math, like that's how you, I do math. Do you guys do math like that? No, that's my calculator. That's 43%. of the time that Jesus was sharing a story, a parable, he was talking about money or possessions. That's pretty significant if you think about it. Uh, and, and, and if you think about, like, for this series, we're going to be doing five weeks. And my goal every year is to try and do at least five weeks on generosity because I feel like it's a tithe of our year. And so it's a way to tithe to the Lord. Uh, and now if we did Jesus, if we use Jesus's model, that would mean that I'd be preaching for the next 22 weeks on giving. So if I was using Jesus model, we'd be, we'd be talking about giving for the next 22 weeks all the way to Easter, basically. Uh, and, and so uh, you should just be like, which one do you want? You know, would you rather have the five weeks or would you rather have the 22 week plan that Jesus gave us? Right. You see what I'm getting at? Uh, and, and so here's the thing, though. My heart is that you would understand what God's heart is on this matter. And I know that there are lots of things that have been said and things that have been done and and even people that have abused things in the scripture for their own selfishness and their own purposes. And that's all very real. 
But my heart is to make sure we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know what I mean? That we actually, is that an okay phrase? It used to be an okay phrase. It's kind of morbid to think about like, oh, there went the baby. But I don't know. (laughs) Maybe we'll come up with a better analogy than the baby being thrown out with the bathwater. I don't know, Donna. But again, the Bible speaks so much about this. I don't know if you know this. Uh, there's lots of principles and ideas and, and concepts in the Bible and, and, and things that we learn from it. Now, if you were just to do like maybe a word search, okay, just a word search uh, in the scriptures, if you were looking for a repetition of certain terms, like, for example, you'd probably think like the word believe, right? That, I mean, that's, that's probably a pretty important word when you think about it in the scriptures. And so believe, how many times do you think believe is mentioned in the Bible? Well, it, it's mentioned about 272 times. So, I mean, that just tells you it's significant, it's important, it's mentioned quite often. Well, there's other words that are mentioned as well, I mean, at at greater frequency. So, like the word pray or prayer is mentioned 371 times. So, prayer and prayer or prayer or pray is mentioned more than believe. But then watch this, the word love. How many times do you think the word love is mentioned? Well, in the Bible, 714 times you hear the word love. That's significant. All of those words are going up. And so you see the importance of those words in the scriptures. But here's the thing. If you do a search on the word give, guess how many times that's mentioned? 2,161 times. See, the Bible talks a lot about giving. Talks a lot about generosity. Talks a lot about being people that are generous or God being generous towards us. And see, the Bible has so much to say about these kinds of things. And sometimes what happens is in life, we don't go to the scriptures to find this kind of information. Now, I'm not saying that that this is like a Forbes magazine. You know, the Bible is some Forbes magazine or some Wall Street journal where you can get a lot of tips and tricks on finances. Now, there are a lot of principles that the Bible teaches that can be very useful to us as believers in Jesus Christ. But the thing you have to see is that the Bible absolutely has something to say to each one of us so that we can understand something really, really important. See, money, really, in God's economy, it's a test. I don't know if you know that. But in God's economy, money is a test. Money is something that God wants us to see that when we use it for his glory, we are passing the test. When we don't use it for his glory, we are not passing the test. And the Bible would say that there is an issue with our character. Does that make sense? There's an issue with our character when we don't properly use money for God's kingdom, for his glory. And it's the truth is we've all been there. We've all done it. Some of us don't even know what the principles are today. And that's okay because as we go through this series, we're going to talk about these principles. But these principles are so critical for us understanding what God is about. Not because God needs our money but because God is after something really, really important. He's after something. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But you have to understand this principle. Listen to this in, 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 sorry, in, Psalms, in Psalms 24, verse 1. I love this verse, but, but it really sets the tone for, I think, everything that we have in front of us. Listen to this. The Bible says, the earth is the Lord's. Whose is the earth? The Lord's. And why is it the Lord's? Because he created it. He made it. Goes on and says, and everything in it. So he formed the world and he put things in it. He put people in it. And the Bible says that if you're in it, it's his. You are his. Everything you have is his. And that's important that we understand that. Because I don't know if, if you're like me, sometimes I think it's mine. Don't you? I mean, we all do it. Sometimes we think it's mine. And the Bible says very clearly, yeah, you work hard and you do things and that's all important and all that. But but it's still God's. 
Matter of fact, your ability to earn, your ability to think, your ability to use your talents, whatever those talents are, where'd the talents come from? They came from God. Everything you have is a gift from God. And so the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, the Bible says in Psalm 24, one. See, this is important that we see this. And if we start there, everything I'm about to say makes a whole lot more sense. But if we don't get that principle, what can happen is we begin to divert towards maybe our own things, our own desires, our own wants. And what happens is we get off track and inevitably we end up in a destination or someplace that God never intended. And right now you may be experiencing a destination or even a way station of some kind that was never God's intent for your life, especially when it relates to your finances. So what I want to do over the next five weeks is spend a little time drilling down on some spiritual principles that I believe will help you in your walk with God, not so that you can get rich. Right? I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is that you understand the principles and you begin to unlock those principles in your life so that you can become, come on, that you can become the most generous person in the world. See, God wants us to be generous. God wants us to be generous. Matter of fact, the Bible says we're blessed to be a what? Blessing. That's why we're here. We're here to be a blessing. And so as we dig in, I, I hope that you gather some of these truths and I hope that you understand uh, that God has more for you as we look at unlocking the rewards of a generous life. Now, so I have four things I want to share with you for the remainder of our time. These are four spiritual principles on giving. The first is, is that giving is a guide. Giving is a guide. You, you may not know that, but, but, but it's true. See, see, let me share something with you out of Matthew 6, 21. This is straight from the mouth of Jesus, okay? Jesus says this. It's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. It's in his Sermon on the Mount, one of his biggest sermons he ever gave that's documented in the Bible. And this is what it says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you know that? Did you know that verse? I don't know if you knew that. But see, Jesus says that wherever my treasure is, my heart is now tethered to that treasure. Do you see the picture? Some of you remember tetherball? Anybody? <laughs> it, it, yes? Anybody remember tetherball? Okay, I, I didn't know. Uh, I was talking to an English woman the other day, like Great Britain English, and uh, she had no clue what tetherball was, so I had to explain it to her, you know? Uh, and and, and it, it, Because I guess they don't play that in England, but some of you have played that, right? And so you know that this ball is tethered to this pole in the middle, and, and you know, the game, and it goes round and round and round and round. And see, what the Bible is saying is that your heart is tethered to your treasure. So wherever your treasure goes, your heart is attached to it. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it? That's actually a very powerful idea. If you begin to really understand what Jesus is saying, that is a very significant idea about treasure and how our heart is connected and how our heart follows that. I'll give you an example. Uh, this, this year, I set aside just a, a little money that I was going to use to invest, okay? I was going to invest in cryptocurrency. Like, I don't know if you even know what cryptocurrency is. Uh, but, but it's this, honestly, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> but I know that you can make money with it. So, so I, or you can lose lots of money too. So just to be fair. But, but I, I, you know, I was doing some hobbies, you know, and so this was my hobby. And so I started putting a little money here and a little money there. And I was buying Bitcoin coins and well actually fragments or percentages of bitcoins but you know I was I was buying some light coin and some doge coin or you know I had all these coins I was buying and, and and I have this app on my phone that helps me monitor how my coins are doing you know whether they're up or whether they're down and and the thing that I noticed is on a regular basis I was checking that app like I literally, like I would get up in the morning and I'd be like, ooh, I wonder what my coin has done. And I'd get there and I'd, oh, look, it's good today. Or, oh, shoot, I lost a lot of money today. You, you know what I mean? And I found myself just absolutely obsessing, finding like, oh, am I up or am I down? 
Now, why did that happen? Because I put my money there. And the moment I put my treasure somewhere, all of a sudden I'm interested. Because my heart is now tethered to that. Does that make sense? This is a principle that Jesus understood. And he wants us to understand it as well. Not because Jesus wants your money. Come on. Jesus is not interested in your money. What is he interested in? Your heart. Jesus is interested in your heart. And he knows that when you give your money, your heart is then attached to it. It is tethered to it. And so if he gets your money, he now gets your heart. That is what Jesus was after. And so, so giving is a guide. It guides us towards God. It di- guides us towards Jesus. It leads us. Matter of fact, I would even go as far as it dictates where we go. Because our heart is attached to it. And, and I think that's such a powerful principle for us to understand when we think about giving and how it's a guide toward God and, and, and the things of God. Number two, the second principle I want to share with you is giving is a revealer. Giving reveals something. Now, what is it that giving reveals? Giving reveals your level of gratitude. Did you know that? Giving reveals your level of gratitude. Listen, listen to this in Deuteronomy 15, 14 through 15. Such a, such a powerful few verses, but, but Moses is writing and he says, give to them. See, notice the word give to them, give to them. As the Lord your God has blessed you. So as the Lord has blessed you, you are now instructed by God to give to them. He goes on, he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. I don't know if you know the story of Israel, but Israel was in slavery in Egypt. And the Lord came there and freed them. And so he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God has redeemed you. Now that's significant. That's significant. Matter of fact, I think sometimes that's something we forget. See, he goes on to say this. After he says all this stuff that God has done for him, he says, that is why I give you this what? Command. Do you see it? Giving is not a suggestion. Giving is a command. Giving is a command that God gives his people. And why does he do that? Because he needs our money? No. Because he wants our heart, but he also wants us to know what's in our heart. Because when we give or we don't give, there is something that is revealed in us that we have to begin to investigate. Have you ever had that moment where you were maybe going to give and something bubbled up inside you? It was like, nah, I'm good. Or that person never worked a day in their life. I'm not going to. You know what I mean? Have you ever had those moments? And and again, I'm not saying that some of those aren't valid. I'm just simply saying that that it reveals things about us. But yet the Bible says and commands us to be generous. And I think it's something that we have to see. Because the one thing I've learned is that God has done everything for me. He's done everything for me. And if God's done everything for me, then that should lead me to a life of gratitude. It shouldn't lead me to any other place. I should always lead a life of gratitude simply because God has done everything for me. I should be grateful because God has been so gracious to me. But it's true. Sometimes what happens is we stop seeing that. And then all of a sudden we start being maybe a little more stingy. Maybe we grip things a little tighter. Maybe we try and control things a little bit more. And we don't, we're not as open-handed. You know what I mean? We become more gripping and clutching of the things we've done and the things we've made and the, the things we've earned. And we grab hold of these things and we hold on tightly. And God is saying, what are you doing, child? Don't you know that everything you have is a gift from me? See, every blessing that we don't turn to God in praise has the potential, has the potential to turn to pride. Do you understand? Every gift, every blessing that we don't reflect back to God has the potential to become a place of pride in our lives. 
That's why like when people say something like, hey, pastor, that was a decent message, right? <laughs> I say, well, thank you. Praise God. Now, I'm not saying that I always do it. I've probably messed that up. But again, my goal is to always reflect it back to God. That every gift I have is a gift from the Lord. To be able to say, yes, glory to God. Every gift I have, every, every talent I have, every, everything that I, I have is a, is a gift from God that I need to reflect back to his glory. Do you see? And that's how we stay out of pride. That's how we stay out of mine, 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 mine. That's how we stay out of that. See, why are Gretchen and I committed so much to generosity? Why? I mean, here, in case you need a reminder, listen to this. And this is in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Listen, as for you, you were dead because of your disobedience and your sins, is what the Bible says. Verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Do you see what I'm getting at? Do you see what I'm trying to help you understand? Listen, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Listen, for he, he, he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Come on. Why is it that I function in this life as a person with gratitude? Because he did this for me. That in my state, in my state separated from him, in my dead place of disobedience, God in his mercy loved me so much that he was willing to give his son. He was willing to give his son. And that should in turn create in me a gratitude that is unending. But the moment that we get too far away from our salvation experience, our redemption, what happens is we forget and we start to wonder, well, my life is X. Guys, this is so critical that you understand the reason behind it. God is trying to reveal whether or not we are grat we're full of gratitude. And, and the way he does it is say, hey, kid, I love you. But do you remember what I did for you? Do you remember what Jesus has done for you? Don't ever forget it. Because that's what will keep you in my hand. That's what will keep you in this flow of generosity and gratitude and blessings. Listen to this in Proverbs 21, 26. Some people are always greedy for more. Did you know that? You've heard me say this before, but in the last 25 years of doing ministry, I've never had one person set up a meeting with me and tell me, Pastor, hey, can you help me? I'm really struggling with greed. Because nobody thinks they're struggling with greed. He says, some people are always greedy for more, but listen, but the godly, what do they love to do? They love to give. The godly love to give. They love to be generous. See, giving is a revealer. It shows us how grateful we are or how grateful we aren't. It helps us see, gives us perspective around something very important. And that is, who is the owner of it? See, God is the owner of all of it. And then Deuteronomy 15.10 says this, Give generously and do so without grieving without a grieving heart. So, so what's it saying? So don't give with a grieving heart. D don't do it like this. Fine, take it. Here. No. You would be better off not doing it, is what the Bible says. When you give, you should do it cheerfully. You should want to do it. You should be excited to do it. I, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but I, I've been in churches before where we would literally, we would dance and sing our way down the center aisle of the church to give our offering. Like people would literally get out of the rows and they'd be like, woo, yeah, 
you know, it's probably a little better than that. There would be a tune going. But they'd get down there and they'd put their money in that basket. And everybody would be singing and clapping and cheering. And they were excited to give. Now, some of us would see that and be like, those are a bunch of weirdos. But is it? Is it weird? Maybe it's not weird. Maybe we're weird. Maybe they're the ones that have it. And we're the ones that lost it. Because the Bible's clear that we should do it with a generous, excited, cheerful heart. Simply, and, and how do you get there? It's because you know everything you have is a gift. Everything you have is a gift. Man, so important, isn't it? So giving is a guide. It's also a revealer. But number three, giving is a blessing. I don't apologize ever about teaching on giving. I know some pastors won't even do it. And it's sad that they won't because I think they're, de- they're depriving their congregation of something very important that's taught in the scriptures. And so I never apologize for this because I know it's going to help you. I know it's going to lead you to unlocking the rewards of what it means to be a generous person. And there are all kinds of blessings and rewards that come with figuring this stuff out. It's an opportunity for you to be able to enter into a blessed life. And God wants that for you. I never apologize for speaking on marriage. I never apologize for speaking on prayer. I never apologize for speaking on serving. So why in the world would I apologize for preaching on giving? We should never apologize for something that God has said. That God has taught us. And my heart for you is to help you grab hold of what it means to live in this blessed life that God has for you. What do do I mean exactly by the blessed life? Well, let me give you just a brief definition. So a, a working definition of the word blessed. Blessed is, listen, having God's supernatural power working for you. Isn't that good? That being blessed is having God's supernatural power working for you. Anybody in here don't want that? That's what I found, is that most people are like, yep, want that. Now, the opposite can be true too, curse, because the Bible talks about blessing and cursing. And the curse would be that you wouldn't have God's supernatural power working for you. And as your pastor, my heart is that you would have God's supernatural power working for you. I know I want it in my life, and I know you want it in your life. And so as we think about living in the blessed life, that's what I want you to see. I'm not talking about you just getting money. I'm not talking about you getting rich or something. That's not what this is about. It's about living in this blessed life. And there's this passage of scripture. Let me see if I can find it really quick. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proverbs 11.25. Okay, you're going to have to skip to the very end to get this. Proverbs 11:25. Listen to this. The generous will prosper. Okay, listen. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now, why did I share that with you? That word prosper doesn't mean uh, it doesn't mean make more money. Okay? That, that's not what the word means. The word prosper, let me help you. For some of you that have got some hang-ups on prosperity and prosperity gospels and all those stuff, okay? Let me help you. The word prosper here means literally, listen, propels your life forward. Get that. So, So what the Bible is saying is that when you're generous, it propels your life forward. It doesn't have anything to do with getting cash. It has everything to do with that your life is now going to be propelled forward because why? You have the supernatural power of God on your finances. And I can tell you, everybody I meet wants the supernatural power of God on their finances. And so this is for all of us to understand. And and here's the other thing. I don't preach on giving because we need money. Like it's not like the board got together and we're like, hey, pastor, uh, it's a real bad deal right now. You got you to gotta do something. Please, God, would you say something to the people, right? I mean, we're barely making it. That is not what's happening in this church. This church is blessed. And one of the reasons we're blessed is because we tithe. And the Bible says that we'll be blessed because of it. And this year alone, in the middle of a pandemic, we are up 12% year over year in our giving. That's what God does. 
And so my point is, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm preaching five weeks on giving because I, we need the money right now. It's not that. It's that there's a principle here that I want everybody to get. Is that God wants to bless us. God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. It's not something I want from you. It's something that God wants for you. So that you can then grab hold of the blessings and begin to put them into play. See, God has so much more that he wants to do in all of our lives. And the thing I've seen, and this is a tragic situation sometimes, is I see people that are out there making a living on a regular basis without having a life. You know what I mean? Is you're working and you're stretching and you're clawing and you're trying to make ends meet. And truthfully, you're probably doing the best you can. And you're working hard and you're trying to do your thing. But here's the deal. We are not designed just to work. We are designed to live. And the way that you live is you tap into the one who has life. And his name is Jesus. And when you follow the one Jesus, you will have life. And if you do it his way, you'll begin to experience the blessings that come And so often in our lives, we want God's blessings, but we don't want to do it his way. And then we're mad at him. Guys, that's double dumb. It's important. But see, God was interested in something. See, we don't we don't get. Let's say, hold on, we we don't give to get. And this is important. We don't give to get. We get to give. You understand? Like, it's a joy to give. Matter of fact, I believe that giving is one of the things that gets God's attention. It actually gets his attention. The Bible says it triggers him. So when we give, God's like, ooh, look at them. They're doing it. Do you think when we're greedy, God's like, yeah, all right. I'm glad you did it. I'm proud of these kids. They're getting real greedy. No. It's when we give, he says, oh, yes, they're finally getting it. They're finally starting to understand who I am. Oh, they're starting to get what I'm about. I mean, think about it. I'm a father and I love my kids. But one of the things I love to do is buy my kids gifts. Like, I like that. That's like my love language. I like to buy them gifts, right? And so we go into a store and and, and, and I want to give them what? They want, like, I, I, I just do as their father. And so we go into a store and, and, you know, one of the kids are like, hey, father, can, can I get just this little piece of candy? And I'm like, no, but we can get the whole lot. Let's get the whole thing. Right? Why? Because I'm their father. And I want to bless them. I want them to have blessings in their life. I want to shower blessings. Do you see how different that is? To how some of us see God, we think of God as a miser, and he's not. He's more generous than anything we could ever think or imagine. Just look at his willingness to give his son. The spirit behind the gift is what matters. It's not about getting. Jesus already set the economy. You will receive, the Bible says, when you give, whether you like it or not. And so God's already set that up. You don't have to worry about that. But what God's interested in is your heart, and he's also interested in the spirit behind it. See, God rewards the attitude, not the amount. So he's interested in your attitude. He's interested in, are you doing it because you want to, or are you doing it because the preacher talked about it for five weeks? No, it's not about that. You're blessed to be a blessing, the Bible says. God's purpose is to bring resources through you, not to you. God wants you to be a conduit of his glory, a conduit of his generosity in the world. Let me explain this to you in a simple illustration. Here's the need over here, right? So the need is over here. All the need, whatever the need is, the church needs to pay the light bill. The church uh, wants to reach people for Jesus. We need to build a bigger building. We need to uh, uh, fund every mission out there in the universe. We need to do everything over here. All the need is over here, okay? Now, all the way over here are the resources. And on the resource side, it's, it's God's resources. And every resource you have is God's anyway. So all of God's resources are over here. And here's the thing. How do we get the resources over to the need? You! You! 
You are the conduit between the resources and the need. Do you understand? It's so important you get this. And God put you in that position, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He wanted to put you in the middle of it so that you could experience the joy of being generous. Come on. See, see, God wants that. And here's the thing. If we choose not to play our part, what happens? The resources don't get to what? The need. And let me just go a step further and say, there are problems in this world that can be addressed by the church simply when the people of God start actually funding it. Come on. In other words, there are things that are not being dealt with. You know those things that you get mad about? The things on the news, you're like, oh, starving kids here and things like that when you get mad about stuff. Well, sometimes we need to look in the mirror. Because at the end of the day, we're the plan. And some of us, and I'll say this more, is, no, I can't say that today. Some of us are not contributing. And as a result, needs aren't being met. And I'm not saying that to guilt you. I'm saying that because God wants to invite you into the joyous journey of being someone that's a conduit of his blessing to the world. Oh, it's such, a, it's such an amazing journey. If you would simply step into it. Oh, God wants to do it so much. So, last one and then we'll be done. Number four is giving is spiritual. I don't know if you know that, but giving is spiritual. Giving is not just transactional. It's not just money going here and money going there. It's something much more than that. There's more going on with money and giving than meets the eye. How about that? It is a spiritual behavior. There are spiritual things happening. And here's the thing that I think is ironic and interesting. When you look at a dollar bill in the United States, you notice on it, it says, in God we trust, written on the very thing that we have the hardest time trusting him with. Isn't that ironic? And again, I'm not being political or anything. I'm being spiritual. I'm simply trying to get us to see that that this is an issue for all of us. If we don't allow God to be God of our heart in this area, what will happen is we won't trust him with our money. We won't trust him with our resources. Now, we may sing songs that say, God, we trust you. God, well, we love you. We'll do anything for you. You're our source. We trust you with our lives. But when it comes to money, we don't. Do you see what I'm getting at? See, giving is a very spiritual thing. Matter of fact, here, how about this one? Trust is God's love love language. See, God is interested in your trust. He's interested in your faith. He wants you to place that in him because it's there that we find the relationship that we all want. See, God, oh, God can do more with your 90% than you can with your 100%. Do you understand this? The principle. God can do more with your 90 than you can with your 100. He is a much better investor. (laughs) He has the ability to do major things if you'll simply trust him with the tithe. Trust him with the gift. In Proverbs 30, verse 5, we read this. Every word of God is pure. It's tested. It's refined. It's found pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. You want God to be your shield? Then you put your trust in him. Put your trust in him in every area of your life. And what will happen is you'll begin to experience the shield. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you'll trust God with your tithe, what will happen is not only will he overflow your cup with blessing. Come on. He says that I will, he will, he will rebuke the devourer off of your finances. We do not want the devourer on our finances. And so he rebukes it. He becomes our shield. He becomes our protector in all of these areas. And quite frankly, whether I have a dollar or two, I still want him protecting it. So here's the thing as we close. As human beings, one of the the issues we have as human beings is we're clinchers. We're grippers. We, We grab hold of things and we hold on to them. Come on. 
We, we have things in our life we grab hold of and we won't let go of. We have relationships. We have other things, toys, items. But as a, boy, as a baby, you came into this world and there was probably at some point an adult put their finger out and you as a baby may have gripped that finger. You probably don't remember it because you were a baby. But there was a moment where you maybe gripped that finger. And so we come into the world gripping, clutching, reaching. And, and, and I think many of us can relate to this as even, we, even as we get older. We, 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 we maybe let go of that finger, but, but then we start gripping other things like our toys. You know, now these are little baby toys and that little baby loves those toys. But as adults, we kind of grip things too, don't we? You got any toys? Maybe it has four wheels on it. And we grip it and we grab hold of it. And, and, and if God said, hey, give it away, you'd say, no. I don't know. But we grip things. And, 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 and then as we get older, we get a little older. And next thing you know, we, we grip some other things. Maybe we grip a ball bat because we're playing baseball. Or we grip a, a pencil because we're writing and we're learning to write. Or maybe a, 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 a bicycle or, or an instrument. We grip these things, and, and what happens is as we grip them, as we cling to them, a lot of our identity is then formed by them. You know what I'm talking about? To where sometimes what can happen is you start to actually find your identity in these things. Look, I am a musician. I am a this. I am a baseball player. And all of that may be true, but before any of that, it should always be superseded by I am a follower of Jesus. And so we grip and we identify and we try our best to understand what it is that God wants us doing in this world. And maybe we get a little older. And we become teenagers and we grip the steering wheel. And that's not the adult gripping the steering wheel. That's the kid. Because if you've ever driven with a teenager, you might want to grip the steering wheel. <laughs> I know I have. And they get older and they grip the steering wheel and... And then they do this weird thing. They, they start to grip other people. You know, girls meet boys and boys meet girls. And it's just, ugh. <laughs> I have a 17-year-old and a 10-year-old and girl. And it just, it's just, it's hard for me, okay? <laughs> but, but we grip, you know, we grip things that we make our identity, that, that form our identity, that shape us. And then sometimes we, we go a little bit further into life and, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, some of us had the experience of a diploma. Maybe it was a high school diploma or, shoot, maybe it was even a GED, you finished. You know? Or maybe you go to college and you get this diploma and, and maybe you studied something in particular and, and then all of a sudden now you're gripping that. And th that becomes your identity. It becomes who you are and you hold on to that for dear life because you know that if you just hold on to that, you're going to be okay. And you're gripping and you're clinging to it. And then perhaps you continue on a little bit more and you, you get married. And you grip to that relationship. And here's one of the things. This is one of the most formative things that can happen in someone's life. Is, is they get married and then all of a sudden they start to grip and cling to that person. And so much of their identity is now attached to that person. And what can happen is you start to believe that that person is your source. And they're not. That God is your source. And what can happen is you grip that person as you start to forget that God is the one that's your source. And perhaps you go a little bit further in life and, and what can happen is you start to climb the ladder. You got your diploma. Maybe you're even married. Maybe you even have a few kids coming and you're climbing that ladder. You grab hold of that rung and you keep climbing and you keep climbing and you keep climbing and you keep gripping and reaching and clawing and scratching and that somehow as you do that everything's going to be all right and the older you get the more you learn that that's just not true because you can cling and grasp and climb the ladder and still be miserable right because you can make a living and not have a life and you cling and we cling and we cling and and then what can happen is we get to the end of our days of working and we start to retire come on some of you have retired recently and you're just enjoying it. Maybe you're playing, you grip that golf club now a little more, you know. You, you, you grip that gardening tool or whatever it is that you do in your retirement. Perhaps you buy an RV and travel around the country like some people I know, you know. I don't know. But you do something and you grip 
and you claw and you grab hold of it and you clutch it and then somehow in it that you're finding what it's all about, maybe some security. And then we all know we get here. You get to the point where you're gripping a cane or you're gripping something that helps you walk. And this is life, isn't it? Is it eventually this is what it means is that we get to a place where we go to be with God at some point and then we eventually get to the place where we're clinging the side of a bed. And we're gripping, we're clinging. And the thing that I'm trying to get us to see is that as we go through life, there will be these things that we grip and grab hold of and clutch. But the thing that I'm trying to get us to understand in all of this is that Jesus is the opposite of that. See, Jesus wasn't about gripping to things, clinging to things. He didn't come into the world to cling to things. He didn't come into the world to do his own thing. He didn't come in with all of these things he was holding. If anything, he came into the world with his hands open wide because he was going to give himself to the world. He was going to give himself to the world. See, this is the picture that we follow. This is the person that we follow. A man who was willing to give his life for us. And see, my friends, this is what I'm trying to get us to understand. That when we live open-handed before a glorious and generous God, we experience life unlocked. We get to experience the joy of being his conduit in the world. But when we live life like this, we will not ever experience what God has for us. And Jesus lives open-handed to us. And as we get to the end, I, I want to share just a brief story with you out of the Bible. There's a story about a guy named Zacchaeus. And I don't know if you've ever read the story of Zacchaeus, but uh, some of you remember the story. You know, he was a wee little man, Zacchaeus, and you've sung the song. And, but Zacchaeus had this interaction with Jesus that radically changed who he was. I don't know what the conversation was between Zacchaeus and Jesus. All I know is that Zacchaeus saw Jesus, said, Jesus, I, I would like to talk with you. And they have dinner together. And at that dinner, something happened. Something was said that then led to Zacchaeus radically changing his position in life. And this is what I speculate. I think there was some interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus over dinner. And as they were having dinner, Jesus said to him, Hey, Zacchaeus, let me tell you a little something about me. I came into this world with my hands wide open in order to give you the gift that God wants me to give you. And here pretty soon, there's going to be a moment where the religious leaders of the day decide to kill me. And he begins to share about the crucifixion and how he was going to be crucified. And he begins to talk to Zacchaeus about this. And I can just imagine Zacchaeus listening to this teacher, this man, this rabbi, and thinking to himself, oh my gosh, I, I've missed it. I've missed it. And he begins to listen to this Jesus talk and and all of a sudden, as, he, as he's thinking about it, this is what he says. Listen, we have it recorded. It's in Luke 19, verse 8. Listen. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything which he had, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said this to him, listen, today salvation has come to your house. What an amazing story of a man understanding the mission of God and realizing that the life he was calling him into was a life of open-handedness, of generosity, of helping people that needed help. Friends, that's what it means to experience the blessed life. And God has such an adventure for us if we would simply do what he says, if we would trust him with our finances, if we'd trust him with our lives, 
because I know this, I know this without a shadow of a doubt that when we do, we will experience the blessed life. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for all that it teaches us and how it shapes us and how it forms us, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. God, I want to pray right now for anybody in this room that desires to trust you with their finances, that desires to trust you in their life, a relationship or their marriage or a friendship, with their work, with with anything, Lord. If you're here today and you want to surrender something to the Lord to trust him in, I want to pray for you. God, I I pray specifically for anybody that's willing to trust you today in these areas. You'd say you're a believer in Jesus, but you need to give a few things over to him. And, And so, God, I pray that whatever that is, that you would give them the strength to follow through. Lord, would you increase their faith so that they might believe that you are absolutely trustworthy. Help them today, Lord. You know, the word trust can also be translated faith or belief quite often in the Bible. And I don't know what your story is. Perhaps even as I talked, you would would have to be honest and say, you know, I don't know if I've ever trusted Jesus. I don't know if I've ever put my faith in him. And so just for a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And if you're wondering what the gospel is, I shared it earlier when Jesus was talking to Zacchaeus. He was talking about him giving his life for people. And he did. And three days later, he beat sin and death. And and as a result, he, he won us back to God if we want it. And so I want to give you an opportunity to confess and believe. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody's looking around. I just want to pray for you. And so if you're here today and you'd like to say that, uh, say a prayer that would solidify this relationship, I want to offer you a prayer. Matter of fact, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up if that's you. No one's looking around. I just want to pray for you. And so right now on the count of three, if you're here today and you want to give your life to Christ today by faith, one, two, three. Go ahead. Just raise it up. Just raise up your hand. God bless you. Good. Good. Anybody else? All right, you can put your hands down. Church, we're all going to pray together. No one's praying alone in here. So let's just simply pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I need you. Would you forgive me of my sins? Will you be my Savior? I surrender to you today, making you Lord of my life. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? celebrate anybody that was giving their life to Christ today.